The Lord be with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here among us. Uh, We thank you for this free microphone (laughs) that I'm using this morning. Uh, We just pray that uh, by your grace we could hear from you and respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text from today is, is Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Today, friends, on the, on the first Sunday of Epiphany, we proclaim that Jesus stands in solidarity with us so that we can stand in solidarity with others. Being divested of our power, living righteously with others so they can know God's power and love. Today, the good news, friends, is that Jesus stands in solidarity with us so that we can stand in solidarity with others, divested of our power, living righteously with others so they can know God's power and love. Last summer, uh, Deacon was out playing with some friends. Um, Actually, these are the friends that you kind of hope Deacon doesn't end up playing with because something always happens a little wonky when he plays with Clark and Dakota. Uh, they're good kids, it's just they're older and they tend to, you put three boys together and the younger boy just never goes well. So <clears throat> we're outside and all of a sudden we hear Deacon scream from a half a block away and come running home. And Sharon and I are immediately like, what's happening? Like, I'm a little upset, I'm a little kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm going. And um, he said, somebody hit me with a shovel. Have I told the story before? <laughs> Am I? I may have told the DNA group, somebody hit me with a shovel. And I said, what? And immediately now I'm like, I'm, it's on, right? Like, dad, like, don't hit my kid with a shovel, right? That's my job. So, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Just joke. Uh, so, uh, so I, I'm like trying to get facts, and I find out it's this five-year-old girl down the street. And so I, I, uh, I don't remember if Deacon came with me or not. I, think, I don't think he did. I walked down the street to where this five-year-old girl lived, and I'd met her husband one time, her husband, her dad one time, uh, because he played fantasy football with me at this neighborhood thing. His name's John. I said, uh, hey, John, um, my son just came home and said that your five-year-old hit him with a shovel. And, and John's response is kind of like typical, I think, of in that situation. He was kind of like, I don't know. He turns around and looks at her, and he says, does, did you hit her with a shovel? And she was like, you know, she's like dead, just like uh, deadpan. She just kind of shook her head. He's like, I don't know, so yeah, sorry. Like, I'll try to get to the bottom of it. And I was like, yeah, I just wanted to figure out what was going on. So I, I walk home, and I'm like, well, that wasn't what I wanted to happen. But, you know, so Deacon calms down, stops crying. And eventually he says, Clark and Dakota are on their bikes. I followed them on their bikes. And I was just standing there, and they were talking to this girl and she picked up a shovel and went after them and couldn't hit them and, and then hit me. And I said, well, what were they, what were they saying to her? And he said, well, they were asking her if, if she liked Clark. Now, Clark is in third grade. This girl is five years old. And as soon as Deacon tells me that, like, it begins to emerge, like, what was actually happening here. This isn't a rabid, masochistic five-year-old looking to injure my son this is, a, this is a powerless little girl who feels picked on and intimidated and unsafe looking to protect herself. 
Are you with me? And so she picks up a shovel, because the only thing she can do at five, and Deacon, who's naive and doesn't understand what's happening, is like standing there to take the shovel to the head, right? So now I'm feeling pretty bad. So I go back down the block to John's house because I want to like help him understand, hey, uh, you don't have an irascible five-year-old, but she was, you know, she was feeling unsafe. So I go to the door um, and before I'm able to knock or ring the bell, I hear John's voice from inside. and He is livid. He's yelling at the top of his lungs at his daughter. What did you do? You're going to tell me what you did. What did you do? And she is crying uncontrollably. And her older sister is trying to get her, her, their dad to calm down. But he's not having any of it. So I'm standing on the front porch. This is happening inside. And I'm feeling terror. Terror. And so I, I, uh, I kind of back away from the front door and walk back down to my house because I don't want to come in between that. Can anyone relate to that? Like we live in a messy world full of violence and anger and pain. And sometimes it feels safer and easier to not ring the doorbell and just walk away. I mean, I've got enough anger issues. I've got enough frustrations and anxiety. I don't need to like go looking for it. Are you with me? So I thought, I, I don't, I'll come back later when he's cooled down. I'll come back later, or maybe I won't come back later. Maybe we'll just say a couple prayers <laughs> for this family. And I walked away. I think this is an impulse that I have in my life, and I think it, I see it in other places too. It's so much easier, friends, to not go in and among the places of bad news. It's so much easier to keep ourselves distant and separated from pain and suffering and anger. But today, friends, we see that our Savior, Jesus, he doesn't just have a service to sinners. He's not just this benevolent, kind king who, who gives money or pays for parenting classes for temper-induced dads, but he gets down in the muck and the mire with sinners. He divests himself of power and he lives righteously with them. I'll tell you the good news is he does that for us as well so that we can divest ourselves of power and live righteously with others so others can know God's power and love. Let's look at our text in Matthew chapter three. This is Jesus' baptism. Baptism was a common practice in the ancient Near East. All kinds of religions had these um, washings, that were associated with worship. And in Judaism at the time, baptism was this rite reserved for, not Jews. Jews didn't need baptism. They were already Jews. But Gentiles? Gentiles, if they wanted to convert to Judaism, they would be baptized in order to be initiated into Israel. You with me? 
So, there's at least three, maybe four things that are, that are unique, peculiar, um, even prophetic about John's baptism. Because it's not normal for Jews to get baptized. You know, the first is, he was purifying Jews and initiating them and getting them ready to receive the Messiah. And it, was a res- it was a right reserved for Gentiles, but Jews were doing it. What does that communicate? What does that do? What does that do? It's this prophetic action that communicates we all, even insiders, need preparation to become part of the covenant people of God. Treating Jews as Gentiles is a prophetic kind of scandalous thing. The second thing is he's purifying sin out here, right? People are getting washed of sin, but there was already a mechanism for that. And it wasn't in the wilderness. It was in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so John is doing something uh, unsanctioned in the wilderness that the temple already did. And what does that communicate? Communicates some kind of judgment, some kind of deficiency, some kind of other provision that the temple can offer. Third thing, the Jews are in the River Jordan. This is an important river. This is the river that the Israelites crossed when they entered the Promised Land. And so what we see here is people leaving the center of faith, the temple, going out in the wilderness, participating in a rite that only Gentiles did, which means they were expressing solidarity with Gentiles, and doing it in a symbolic way of entering the Jordan River and coming up out of it, which is how the Israelites came into the Promised Land initially. All this imagery, all this symbolism, plus, don't get me started, like desert wilderness is the place of darkness and wild beasts. It's a place people went to sort of be purified or to have a a test or a trial. All of this communicates that, that God is preparing a new thing, a new people to receive a new king. It's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees went down to check things out. They were cranked up. They were a little upset that this was happening outside of their jurisdiction. So this is all of the, ba- all of the backdrop for why Jesus was baptized. And so John has the same response to Jesus as he does to the Pharisees and Sadducees. What are you doing here? <laughs> With the Pharisees and Sadducees, it was like, you're not here to repent. Who told you about this? Snakes, lizards, brood of, brood of scorpions. With Jesus, it's, John is like, no, 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 no. No, I'm preparing a people, but you don't need to be prepared. Right? And Jesus says, allow me to be baptized. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. When we typically think of righteousness, friends. We think of sinlessness. Yeah? To be righteous is to be sinless. So righteousness is moral purity, we could say. Right? That's kind of, I think, commonly how that's thought about. But that's not, that's not how this word functions all through Scripture. Uh, our, our reading from Isaiah talked about justice, justice, justice. The word for righteous and the word for just, it's the same word. So there's something about just making, making things right. But righteousness isn't just about moral purity, it's about relational harmony. Righteousness is a word to describe covenant connection. 
covenant faithfulness. It means fidelity, integrity. It means, friends, solidarity. Being with and among and identified with. Solidarity is identifying with. So the righteousness Jesus fulfills with his baptism is a complete solidarity with all the people who are there to be baptized. Jesus is saying, if I'm not baptized, I'm not truly in this with you. I haven't truly connected and identified myself with you, with with sinners, with people who need to be prepared. So let this happen. Two things about this, friends, and then we're going to respond. Jesus' ministry wasn't to sinners. It was with and among sinners. See, a ministry to others keeps us distant, keeps us in a posture of control, keeps us in a posture of benevolence. We, we maintain our power and we sort of dole it out to help, right? But a ministry of solidarity with divests power. Jesus cost himself a lot to get in that river. Symbolically, he was, he was laying down a lot of power to do that. So Jesus gets in the muddy, dirty water, away from the power, with the marginalized, in the dangerous desert, to be fully identified with us. Friends, this is, when we say God will only meet us, we really are. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about being what we really are because that's where Jesus stands in solidarity with us. Being where we really are because that's where Jesus is. He's always in solidarity in the, in the marginalized, dirty, muddy, dangerous place. Whether it's the River Jordan or your heart. That's where Jesus is. And second, Jesus stands in solidarity with sinners, not just so we can feel like, okay, this is good, we got this nice little God with us thing here, but so that, um, that we can fully identify with him. See, Jesus' solidarity with us means that we can have solidarity with him. There's an identity. We can identify the same way Jesus' identity is revealed in God's voice. This is my beloved son, God says, right? I find happiness or pleasure in him. Notice, friends, this is a declaration not just to Jesus. It's a declaration to Jesus, about Jesus, for everyone. Jesus' baptism with the dove coming down. You see this in Isaiah 42, this imagery of uh, my spirit will be upon him. This is his coronation. Jesus' baptism is his coronation ceremony. And instead of Herod and Pilate and uh, Caiaphas being there with honored seats, it's, it's sinners. Jesus is anointed by God as Messiah in his baptism as he expresses solidarity with sinners and then the sinners have solidarity with him. So this declaration, friends, because Jesus assumes all we are, we can assume all that he is. This declaration isn't just for him. It's for all 
who are included in him. Today, friends, we proclaim the good news that Jesus stands in solidarity with us so we can have solidarity with him, divested of power, living righteously with others so others can know God's power and love. So friends, um, I'm leaving John's porch and uh, I'm praying and God's spirit stops me. It, it was God's spirit. Um, and I, I turned around in my driveway and went back to the front door. And the screaming was still going on and the crying was still going on. And I rang the doorbell and stood there and no one came. And I rang the doorbell again and stood there and no one came. And I rang the doorbell again and stood there and no one came. Probably four or five minutes I stood there. I went home, told Sharon what was happening. And as I told Sharon, the Spirit of God grabbed me again and I went back again. And this time I knocked on the door as loud as I could. And still no one came. This is the ministry we're called to, friends. The idol of security and safety, the privatization of our faith, internalization of our faith, it would keep us from moving into places to be with and for others. But we're committed as a church to take this declaration we receive because Jesus has sought it with us that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God that God is already pleased with you. And we take that into places that need that. So we're, we're starting in this new missional community with the Knopf Myers. And, and the vision uh, that Andy has laid out for our missional community, because Andy's leading it, is, hey, we want to be with and for the lonely, isolated people in our neighborhood. And in order to do that, this isn't some activity we accomplish in this benevolent posture of service towards lonely people. But it's, we create a community where we rob each other of our own loneliness and our own isolation. And then we invite other people into that, to have solidarity with us as we stand in solidarity with Jesus. This is what we're about. This is mission at the table. A few uh, months ago, we elected a person, uh, president, who has a very um, explicit, articulated agenda about, um, about scapegoating and blaming immigrants and people of the Islamic faith for the problems in America. Um, and uh, I know I've talked to you about, about this, Ryan. Uh, just living in an affluent area, what is it, who are the poor here? Who are the marginalized here? And, and uh, I would drive past uh, this mosque on Lantern Road, Al Huda Foundation, and, I would, and the Lord over time was just like convicting me, like, what is it like to be a Muslim living in a primarily Christian white context with Donald Trump as your president. So I went on their website and, and looked, uh, just, I don't know, just looking, just reading about it. And I saw these, um, these three people that have interfaith conversations and I emailed them and I CC'd Ben and another pastor friend of ours and we met with one of the elders from the mosque. His name is uh, 
Salah. Salah? Salah? El Sahardi. Uh, wonderful, kind man. We talked to him for an hour and a half. And in the entire time, it was basically like, how do we stand in solidarity with you? That was the question. How do we, as Christians, how do we as Christians put ourselves in harm's way for your sake? How do we get down in the muddy water and the dirty water? How do we, how do we, how do we lay our lives down for you so that you can know God's power and love through us? And so uh, what came out of that conversation was an invitation from Salah to come to their mosque, which it is a mosque, they call it foundation because that's safer. Think about that. Think of, we call it the table gathering because if we said church, we might get bombed. You know? So anyway, um, Salah just said, hey, uh, come and, come and we'll, we'll make you lunch and we'll talk We'll, we'll teach about Islam, what it is, and you can ask any question you want. He said, even the wrong or embarrassing questions. Think of that hospitality. It's amazing. Uh, and then we'll give you a tour of our mosque. So this isn't uh, the end of a, like this isn't gonna answer what it looks like for mission in our church. This is us paying attention to grace, trying to discern locally what it looks like to stand in solidarity with people who may feel marginalized, cut off, in danger. Um, so, I, I, Tebbies are going, Strinkies are going. I'd love it if the Donahoes and the Ruarks come too. And it's essentially just a time to listen, ask questions, hear, and to express God's love and God's power to people who feel cut off. But again, uh, this missional community or, or this, this thing with the Alhuda Foundation, uh, this doesn't accomplish or sum up all the ways we need to respond today. So friends, as you listen to this message, as you begin to reckon with, as you meet God where you are, you receive the same identity he does. That you are a daughter of the king. You are the son of God. And you take that identity, that solidarity with Jesus, so that, not just, not just so it's just like a nice comforting blanket, but so that you can reach out in and through that and stand in solidarity with others. So in your bulletin today, there's this prayer. This prayer of response. It's on the unnumbered page <laughs> in your bulletin. It just says community prayer, and it says, Father, I affirm that, that I am your, there's an extra you in there, that's my, that's my fault. I affirm that I am your daughter, and you delight in me. Or I affirm that I am your son, and you delight in me. I ask for the faith to stand in solidarity with blank, so that they may know your power and love. Friends, where today is God calling you out of a distanced, detached, charitable mindset into a solidarity, connected, submitted to mindset? 
let's take some time to just reflect and pray together using this phrase as our prayer.